Good morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you or on your phone, turn with me to Romans 4. Romans chapter 4. Uh, I mentioned last week, if you were here or if you listened later, one of the things trying to get better as, uh, at as pastors and elders is we're talking about, hey, how do we make sure that what we're teaching, people are grasping? How do we begin to measure spiritual growth in the lives of people to make sure they're understanding the scriptures better? And so last week we did a text in thing uh, where you text a response to a question. Today's going to look a bit, little bit different. Uh, where hopefully when you walked into the worship center, you received one of these little slips of paper in your worship guide. Um, if you didn't, that's okay. Uh, just slip your hand up real fast, and Megan, our missions coordinator, has several of these. If you didn't get one of these and you want to participate, slip your hand up real fast. Anybody need one? Still, you don't have to be shy. It's all right. All right. Anybody else? Okay, cool. These will be in the back, too, if you choose to use these later. Um, but as we begin our message today, I'm going to ask you to do one thing on that slip of paper. Hopefully there's an ink pen around you somewhere. I want you to write an answer to this question, very simple question, just write it on that piece of paper if you're willing to participate, and there's a point to this. And the answer to the question is this, what is faith? What is faith? Keep it short, you don't have to make it very long, can we put that up on the screen too so that we have it in uh, uh, Espanol as well, maybe? That'll be up there, take, take 10 seconds and write on that, that uh, piece of paper, what is faith? As you're doing that, just uh, as a way of celebration, and uh, as you're writing that down, yesterday we took our first team ever uh, to the Stowe Mission of Central Ohio down on Parsons Avenue, so it was really cool. It took 25 people down there to serve, so Stowe is one of our very strategic, now Acts 1-8 strategy partners, um, as we think over these next couple years and just getting healthy as a congregation, and uh, Stowe Mission, they do so much. We got to see their food pantry, their kitchen we got to see their uh, eye clinic, their dental clinic, their pregnancy resource center. They're working with people that have been rescued from human trafficking, homelessness, uh, people just down on their luck and in some hard times. And so uh, did several things. Our group cleaned the pregnancy resource center. They cleaned the worship center. We had to take, uh, this sounds easy, but this is the most challenging thing I think I've done in the last 12 months, to take a bottle of shampoo and put it in small plastic bottles I mean, it sounds like something that a six-year-old could do, doesn't it? Yet we had a table surrounded with like 12 grown adults, and all of us are like, oh, and throw that one away, dang, and you throw that one away too. It was the most challenging thing that I think many of us have ever done, but we filled probably about 200 of those little bottles. They have showers on site for folks that don't have access to running water to bathe. They can come, get soap, shampoo, and body wash, and get a shower there at the Stowe Mission as well, so... Pretty amazing what they do. To keep that piece of paper on you, tuck that in the back of your Bible. We're going to come back to that later um, at the end of the message. So if you will do me the honor of standing in the honor of reading God's word, placing ourselves under the authority of the scriptures this morning, as we look at Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 25, several, several verses to look at this morning, so don't lock your knees as we read this, all right? Here we go. Starting in verse 16, Paul writes this. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to a guaranteed all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. And he is our father in God's sight in whom Abraham believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, that's Abraham, hoping against hope so that he became the father of many nations. According to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. Confused yet? Verse 19, 
He did not weaken in faith when he had considered his own body to already be dead since he was about a hundred years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness now. It was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone. But this is for us this morning, verse 24. But also for us, it will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses, and Jesus was raised for our justification, or that we can be made right with God again. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, I pray that you would help us to understand the scriptures this morning. God, take what may be slightly confusing, and God, would you help through the power of your spirit to make it simple and understandable and something we can apply and live out this week. So God, we pray for open ears to hear from you this morning. We pray for soft hearts, God, because we don't want to just hear the word, Lord. We want it to change us. But God, we also pray for obedient hands and feet because we don't want to simply be hearers of the word. But God, we want to be doers of the word and live out our faith in Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. In 2009, my now wife Elizabeth and I got to hang out for the very first time with some friends. And we went and saw the classic movie that came out that year, the movie Up. If you've never seen Up before, the premise of the movie is pretty simple. An old man named Carl ties thousands of balloons to his house in order to travel the world in his floating house to keep a promise to his wife who had died years before that. And we see that movie and we're reminded that that's impossible, right? Well, that exact scenario may be impossible, but... A similar one was proven possible. If you've never heard this story before, this is my, one of my favorite stories ever, because years ago, a man named Larry Walters wondered, could I fly around my neighborhood in a lawn chair if I attach enough balloons to it? So Larry went down to the Army Surplus store. He purchased 75 weather balloons, inflated each one of them, tied them to a lawn chair, which he then tied that lawn chair to the back of his pickup truck. He sat in that lawn chair with 75 weather balloons up into the air and brought with him a few things, a peanut butter sandwich in case he got hungry, a six-pack of beer in case he got afraid, and a loaded BB gun in case he needed to get down. Larry then had a friend untie that lawn chair from the back of his truck, and his goal was very simple— he said, I just wanted to get a different view of my neighborhood from a little bit higher perspective. But bystanders said that the moment that his friend untied the lawn chair, that Larry shot straight up into the sky like a rocket. The story goes that after a couple hours, he reached about 2,000 feet in the sky, and he passed out. Eventually, I'm not making this up. He was three miles in the sky in his lawn chair with his peanut butter sandwich, six-pack of beer, and his BB gun, when a 747 full of people spotted Larry three miles in the sky, hundreds of miles from his initial launch point. <laughs> he, said, he said, right before he passed out, he said, I did the only thing I needed to do when I was so afraid. I just started drinking. 
It's said after his rescue that the the police department issued him a $4,000 ticket. They asked Larry, and they got that ticket down to $1,500 in case you wondered. They asked Larry three questions. Larry, were you scared? He said, yes. Larry, would you do it again? He said, no. And I love this. Larry, why'd you do it? He said, I just got tired of sitting around. You see, who would have thought that if you attached several balloons to a lawn chair that you could shoot straight up into the sky? It's one of those things that seems impossible, and you say it, and you're like, there's no way that that could actually happen until it actually does. I think in that same regard, as we look here at Romans 4, as Paul drills down more on the impossible nature of Abraham's faith, where God says something to Abraham that by all accounts should be impossible, But what did Abraham do? Although it seemed impossible based on what he heard, he chose to put his faith in the promise that God had made. We saw last week that according to Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham was made right with God by faith because he believed in what God had said. We said that for us now as New Testament Christians that we are made right with God by believing what God said about Jesus by believing what Jesus accomplished on the cross, no matter how impossible it may seem. Have you really paused? I tried to do that this week, to really pause and think about the premise of the Christian faith, that we believe that God stepped out of heaven on our behalf, died a substitutionary death for us, and that when we believe that he did that and we give our lives to him, that we get to spend our eternity in a place called heaven in perfect fellowship with the God of the universe. What? I mean, the whole premise of it, if we're honest, sounds a little bit impossible, a little bit crazy. But I want to drill down into Abraham's faith this week and our faith, this impossible faith that we possess, and think about what is true biblical faith. That's why I had you define it just a moment ago. I want to give some definitions today and help us really understand this based on the story of Abraham. So let's think about faith for a second. We said a couple weeks ago, faith is trusting in the promise of God. I want to drill down that on a little bit more in Hebrews 11.1. It'll be up on our screen. The writer of Hebrews said this. Writer of Hebrews said, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, and it's the proof of what is not seen. I I like alliteration, so I like to have my words match with the first letter. So I think we could sum up Hebrews 11.1 with two words, confirmation and confidence. Confidence and confirmation. Confidence in what? Right here, the writer of Hebrews says that we have confidence in what we hoped for, of what we hope for. We said last week, what are we hoping in? We're hoping in the promise of God, that we believe that what Jesus accomplished on the cross in order to pay our sin debt so we can be made right with God is actually true. If I had to guess this morning, you're not here this morning for the great coffee, yeah? Nobody came this morning like, you know what I'm going to get out of bed for? Because I heard Living Hope Columbus had really good Keurig coffee. It's Walmart coffee. It's the best in town. That's not why you're here. You're probably here because you've staked your life on the reality that you truly believe that Jesus actually did what God said he would do. And you believe that it was a true historical event. And you've chosen to put your trust in that. You have a confidence in what you're hoping for. 
Second, we have a confirmation of what we can't see. Meaning we believe that there's proof that we will be made right with God and spend eternity with Him even though our eyes have not seen it yet. None of us in this room have been to heaven. If you have, you need to talk to Pastor Joe after church because you, you something wrong with you, right? We've never been there. But yet we still believe that that is true. I was thinking about if you read through Hebrews chapter 11, I encourage you, man, what a, a neat chapter of the Bible to read in its entirety. Because you can see example after example of men and women who believed in the promises of God and then they adjusted their lives accordingly. Believed in things that they couldn't see yet, but they adjusted their lives because they knew what they couldn't see was true. They believed what God said in his promise and then they lived it out. The faith in God was evidenced by their actions. They trusted God completely. I think about my life personally, and many, this is true for many of you. I know that someday I will stand before God under the banner and blood of Jesus Christ and not be held accountable for my sins. I know that's true. And I have adjusted my entire life on that reality. As Pastor Joe was leading us in worship just a few moments ago, and we were singing that song. It's one of my favorite songs we sing. And just declaring the truth of the scriptures over this worship space this morning. Y'all, we've, we've, we've literally staked our lives on the fact that what Jesus did is true. That the word of God is actually the word of God. And we're willing to give up everything for it. I believe, many of us, believing that God will keep his promises even if we haven't completely seen it yet. Let's break apart Abraham's faith here in Romans chapter 4, and hopefully this will help us understand the concept of faith a bit more. Some markers of Abraham's faith. Number one is this, the object of Abraham's faith. The object of his faith. Verse 16 is the summation of everything we talked about last week, so we're not going to get in depth on that, but it's essentially meaning that we can be made right with God again. Our sins can be forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, not by our works. We're on the same page with that. When that's not by our works, there's nothing you can do to make God happy with you. God views you rightly because of what Jesus did for you. So we put our faith in what Jesus Christ did. We said God made a promise to us. It'll be up on the screen, Romans 10, 9 and 10, where he said these words, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We believe with our heart, resulting in righteousness, and confess in our mouth, resulting in salvation. That's God's promise to us. Confession and faith results in eternity with God. But here's an important note, and I think we need to understand this. What was the object of Abraham's faith? In what did he place his faith? Look at verse 17 of Romans chapter 4. Paul said, as it's written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, of the God in whom Abraham believed. This is so important for us to understand this morning. Abraham didn't simply put his faith only in the promise of God. Abraham put his faith in the one he believed. He believed and put his faith in God himself. A promise is only as good as the one who makes it. Yeah? If, if you know someone or you are a habitual liar and everything that comes out of your mouth is untrue, and then you go to make a promise to someone, no one's going to look at you when you make a promise if lying is your constant posture and go, I bet that they're actually going to come through on that. No, because your character has proven otherwise. 
A promise is only as good as the one who makes it. So what did God promise Abraham in Genesis 12? Land, seed, and kingdom. Now, what's Paul doing in Romans 4? He's quoting Genesis chapter, what was it, 17, where God was confirming his promise to Abraham again, and he's just reiterating, God's going to come through. God's going to do what he said. Why? Because God's never broken a promise, and he never will. You can put your entire life, you can stake your entire existence on what God said will come to pass. I promise you. Now, did Abraham's faith ever struggle? Read the story. Yup. <laughs> he always believed God, but his faith still struggled a little bit. But the object of his faith was always God. And what does Paul say? I love this in verse 17. Paul reminds us that even when God's promises seem impossible, that we serve the God of the impossible, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence. Let me ask you all a question. Do you actually believe that there was a God-man named Jesus who came down to this earth, died on a Roman cross, like dead, like no heartbeat left, life had exited the body. Three days later, he actually came back from the grave, defeating death, hell, and sin forever. Do we actually believe that? Yup. <laughs> yeah, I do. That sounds impossible. I know, but I believe it, and I've staked my entire life on it. Why? Because God said so. D do we actually believe that God existed in eternity past in perfect fellowship with himself, which is the craziest thing ever, and then God said, let there be light. Let there be sun, moon, and stars. God said, let the earth be uh, with form and no longer void, and let light be separated from darkness. Do you really believe that you serve a God who existed from eternity past and called everything into existence from nothing? Yeah, I do. Why? Because God said so. Do, you, do we really believe that if we repent of our sin, meaning that no longer do we choose to go our own way, but we say, you know what? The God that made this promise to me, he's worth giving my entire being over to. So I'm going to turn from my way, and he's going to be Lord of my life now, and I'm going to walk with him as long as I live. You really believe that if you repent of sin and put your faith in God, that you can spend eternity in a place called heaven? You really believe that's true? Yup. <laughs> Why? Because God said so. You believe that this book, 66 books, two Old and New Testament, 1,500 different years, 40 authors, is actually a book that was written under the inspiration of the Spirit of God through men who followed God, and you call this the Word of God, and that's how He speaks to people? You think that's true? Yeah. And I've devoted my entire life to it. Why? Because I trust what God said. Y'all, we have to make a decision when it comes to faith. Faith, God is either the object of my faith or he's not. And if he is, that means that I believe he can do anything and he can do the impossible and I can stake my entire life on it because God is the object of my faith. Is God the object of your faith today? Here's the second thing we see about Abraham's faith, the character of his faith. Look at verse 18 there. Abraham believed, hoping against hope. I put a parenthesis in our, our text there. I think it'll be up on the screen. That means that when everything seemed impossible, that Abraham chose to believe God. That's what hoping against hope 
actually means. So that he became the father of many nations. Abraham chose to look beyond circumstances to trust what God said. I mean, look there in verse 19 up on the the screen. Paul says Abraham's body was dead. He was nearing 100 years old, meaning as far as physical reproduction was concerned, he didn't have the ability to do that anymore. Genesis 17, 17, you go back to this actual story, the historical account of when it occurred. Look at what it says here. Abraham fell face down. This was after the Lord told him, like, you're going to have descendants that are vaster than the sands on the seashore. Like, man, you're going to have so many people come from your lineage. And he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Just listen, I'm not a biologist, okay? But I think we all have some basic understanding. Hundred-year-old men can't typically have the ability to make babies. Side note, P.S., though. Did a little research on this. There was a man in India about like 10 years ago. This is just free. Like this is the stuff that you quote on Twitter later. You're like, did you know? Or you're at the water cooler tomorrow. Let me tell you something cool I learned in church. There was a man in India like a decade ago, 92 years old, that fathered twins. You got you to pray for them. Gracious. I'm 35 and got two kids, and I'm thinking, there's no way. Can you imagine fathering twins at 92? Lord bless the man, right? But Abraham knew. For God to make him the father of many, it would take a miracle. But look at this in verse 19 of Romans 4. Paul reminds us, as Genesis tells us, Sarah's womb was dead. We see in Genesis 11.30, again, original story. What does the scripture say? That Sarah was unable to conceive, and she did not have a child. For some reason, physically, she didn't have the reproductive abilities to conceive a child. Not only that, it's the one-two punch, Not only was her womb dead, but she was also 90 years old. Again, a little bit of research, if you didn't know this. There was a woman in India. There's something in the water in India, apparently. We need to get get them checked out. But she was 74 years old, and she gave birth to twins. Imagine. Some of you are like, there ain't no way, right? I mean, you talk about geriatric pregnancy or something crazy like that. I mean, that's just nuts. So she's got this one-two punch. Her womb was unable to bear a child because it was dead and she was old in age. And the scripture actually says in Genesis 18 that when she heard God confirming this promise to Abraham, that she laughed. She thought to herself, there's no way. Look at this, Genesis 18, starting in verse 10. God says, I'll come to you back in a year's time and your wife Sarah will have a son. He's talking to Abraham. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent Abraham and Sarah were old, 90 and 100, getting on in years, the Bible says. I think that's a good phrase. When somebody has their next birthday, man, you're getting on in years. That's a good way to phrase it. And she had passed the age of childbearing. She was 90. I I feel like Moses, when he wrote Genesis 18, was a little generous here. She had passed the age of childbearing. She'd passed it like twice over at this point. You know what I'm saying? Like it was way past. So she laughed to herself. (laughs) This shouldn't be funny, but it is. Am I worn out? Yeah, you are. Go sit in your recliner and just watch Netflix, Sarah. Goodness. And my Lord is old, talking about Abraham. Will I have delight? Well, what's the Lord say? Why did Sarah laugh? Can I really have a baby when I'm, when I'm old? And then listen to this. Is there anything impossible for the Lord? I mean, this seemed impossible for God to do. The circumstances were stacked against him. But what does verse 20 and 21 say? 
But Abraham didn't waver in unbelief at God's promise. But he was strengthened in his faith. And he gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Why was he fully convinced? Because his eyes weren't on the circumstances. That's not where his faith was. His faith was in God. Y'all, we can't let our eyes wander from the one in whom we put our faith. Because circumstances around us might not always make sense, but when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, that's where you get an unwavering faith. Abraham trusted what God said, and then he adjusted his life accordingly. That's faith. Romans 4.22 says, It was credited to Abraham for righteousness. Believing what God said, and then living it out. I always think of it this way. You've probably seen me use this illustration before, but I think this is a good way to remember how faith works. You've seen the chair illustration, but if you haven't, this will be new for you. Imagine for just a moment thinking of faith. If I sat this chair up here and I had Pastor Joe come up and I said, Pastor Joe, I bought this chair especially for you. It's top of the line, Walmart quality, cost me a whole $25. This thing, like you're not going to find a better folding chair in the entire world, but I got it for you. Sit in it. Now, Joe has a couple of options at that point. Joe could say, dude, you've done something to the chair. There's no way I'm sitting in the chair. Joe could say, I believe, Aaron, that that chair is safe for me to sit in. I believe what you said about it, that this chair is safe and that I can, I can take a seat in it. But is simply believing that the chair could hold him, is that faith? No. We've got way too many Christians walking around today. I believe what God said. Do you know where true faith comes in? When you actually sit down. When not only do you say, I believe what was said, but now I will adjust my life according to what was said. That's faith. Listen, folks, when we say in faith that Jesus is Lord and we believe what he accomplished for us, it is not enough for us to simply proclaim that with our lips. Your life has to adjust accordingly to that. What did James say in his letter? The demons believe and they shudder. Our lives have to adjust to the fact where we say, I have faith in what God said, and now I'm going to adjust my life accordingly. James talks about this. My works do not get me right with God, but my works are evidence of a faith that I claim to have in God. Does that make sense? It's not just what I say, but if Jesus is truly Lord of my life, I have to adjust accordingly. That's really what faith is. Thank you, chair. Appreciate your help. Abraham's story wasn't perfect. There were times where we see he took his matter into his own hands throughout the book of Genesis, but God always brought him back to the promise. He made a commitment to Abraham that through his seed, that God was going to bless the whole earth. Let's close out by talking about the application of faith. Application of faith. Let's apply this to you and to me. What's this mean for us? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 that things, the stories of the Old Testament, these historical accounts, happened as examples for us, that they were written for our instruction. So what can we learn from Abraham's example? Paul tells us in verse 24 and 25, but for us, it will be credited to us who believe in in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 
If what we just read there in Romans 4, 24 and 25 is true, the implications are massive. Because it means this, God made a promise to us. He made a promise to us regarding salvation that we can be made right with God again. That if we actually, truly and genuinely put our faith in Jesus, that we don't have to spend eternity separated from God. If we choose to believe in the promise that our promise-keeping God has made, we can be made right with Him again. But friends, understand this this morning, and this is where the rubber meets the road with faith. It's not simply saying you believe, in, you believe something. It's living out what you say you believe. It's not simply saying, well, I prayed a prayer when I was 10 years old. I'm really glad that that happened. But if that actually occurred and that was true and you genuinely put your faith in the God who made a promise to you that you can give your life to Jesus and for eternity, spend an eternity with Him, then your life should reflect the promise that you believed. That's what separates belief from faith. They're different. A couple questions to close. Has your faith in Jesus actually changed your life? Or do you simply give lip service to God? Do we really believe what God said about repenting of sin and being made right with him? And has it radically changed your life? Has it really changed who you are? Because faith will we live out what we say we believe. So let me close with one definition. What is faith? Believing in what God said and then living it out and letting it change me. Church, do you really believe that God created everything from nothing? Yeah. You really believe that God stepped out of heaven as a baby on your behalf to dwell in flesh so that he could die for you? Yeah, we do. And you really believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sins? Yep, he came back from the dead three days later. Of course he did. If you repent of sin and put your trust in him that you can be saved for an eternity, yeah, you actually believe all of that? That sounds impossible. I know, but God said it and I've staked my entire life on it. That's faith. Believing in what God said and then living it out. Because when you truly put your faith in God, it changes everything about your life. Can I pray for us as our praise team comes? God, we love you. Thanks for your word. God, I pray that your word would do the work that it promises to do. God, we don't want to be hearers of the word. We want your word to change us. I pray for any of my friends that are maybe in this room or listening at a later time that have never truly and completely put their faith in, in you before, believing that when they repent of sin and turn their lives over to you, that they will be saved and may be made right with God again. Maybe I pray, God, that today would be that day that they do that, wherever they are, wherever they're listening, that, Lord, they would repent of that sin and give their life to Jesus. God, we thank you for the scriptures and how they continue to speak to us today. And, Lord, I pray now as we sing that our voices would echo through heaven. God, that our voices would be able to join the chorus of angels that we know have been singing your praises for ages. Lord, it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.